Great to see you today. Glad you're here. And we are in a series of messages entitled How to Host the Holy Ghost. This is going to be part three. We're going to make this the last part. I want to begin with our springboard text in John 16 and verse 7. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage. Some translations say it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And Jesus is telling us, you're going to be better off with the Holy Spirit, the helper, than you were when I was physically present. He said he's going to help. Now, that, that means that he'll cooperate with us, but he's not going to be doing things on his own. In John 14, 26, Jesus said that he's coming to represent me and act on my behalf. It's amazing to me how many people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. You just mentioned the Holy Spirit and they're kind of like, whoa. Right? And, and the reason is they think that the Holy Spirit is weird. But the first thing we should know is this. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. He is sent to represent and act on Jesus' behalf. And the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. And they blame the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, listen, 1 Corinthians 14, this is what it says. It says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, what that means is this, that, it, that, that if you have a, you, you, the Spirit of God's moving and you have something from the Holy Spirit, it means it's subject to you. In other words, God doesn't force you to do a somersault. God doesn't force you to shout. God doesn't force you to be weird. All right. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, you can do it in a proper way at a proper time. Amen. Right. So, so it's not that the Holy Spirit gets makes people do strange things. Now, first Corinthians 12, verse two. I shouldn't I should say this. The world might think some things are strange that are not strange, Amen. but they're just normal for Christians. All right. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, in the spots where the Bible tells us not to be ignorant, it's like we have become the most ignorant. But he says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do, because we want to be able to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we're going to take a look at these spiritual gifts. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says there's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. So in other words, the person who who's, is operating in the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the working of miracles, prophecy, it's all the same spirit. There's not one spirit that operates in one person and a different spirit in another person. Every one of the gifts come from the same Holy Spirit, right? All nine of those gifts. It says in, first, excuse me, in Hebrews 12, verse 4, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. So here's one of the things that we need to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? They don't operate when you want them to. You don't have a switch and turn them on. They operate according to His will. Right? According to His will. I think that it's dangerous when somebody says, well, I have a gift of prophecy or I'm a prophet and line up 50 people and say, I'm going to give every one of them a word. 
Because it doesn't operate when I want it to. It operates when he wants it to. It's not according to my will. It's according to his will. Right? There's differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Um, <clears throat> we've got the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. Some people refer to that as a five-fold ministry. Right? But it's all the same Lord. And, and uh, to understand them, uh, I like to just use the hand. Right? The Bible mentions apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The teacher is like your, your little finger. He's the only one that gets inside your ear really well. <laughs> All right? Now, the pastor is, is like your second finger. We kind of, kind of call it the ring finger. All right? He's the one that loves you and cares for you. Yeah. Right? The evangelist is represented by your middle finger. How many that's the longest one? It's supposed to be. Right? It's supposed to be the longest one because the evangelist has to do with outreach. Right? He's reaching out beyond what we would call the local church. Right? And then we have the prophet, and he's the pointing finger. He says, you need to straighten up, and you need to repent, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. Okay? And then we have the apostle represented by the thumb. He's really the strongest, but he's able to work with every one of the others. And he makes every one of the others more effective when they work together with him. So there's differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord. Right? And then it says there's diversities of operation, diversities of activities, but the same God works all in all. all right? So one teaches, another one writes, another one counsels, somebody else is on television. It's all the same Holy Spirit, all the same. Now in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, it says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse or different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So when it mentions here these nine gifts of the Spirit, right, it says that he ministers those to each one. In other words, every single person that's a believer is to operate in one of these gifts as the Spirit wills. So what we're talking about today should affect every single person that's here, right? Because he gives them to every single believer. In verse 7, it says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, to every believer, for the profit of all. Now, these are not things that we earn. These are by grace. Right? They're by grace. But when we're ignorant of them, they'll usually just pass us by. Right? Because we need to be sensitive. It's kind of like what, what we need to do is learn how to, how to take our, 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 our dish, our satellite dish, and kind of move it over to where we're receiving the signal, right? Because the Holy Spirit is very often sending a lot more signals than what we're picking up, right? And notice it says it's for the profit of all. In other words, the gift is not to benefit the person who the gift flows through. 
The gift is for the benefit of others. I remember in the 1980s when a couple of leading ministries in America fell morally. And people said, how can that happen? How could that happen? Right? This is how it can happen. Right? Because they're anointed to minister, but they're not anointed to live the life. They have to resist temptation exactly the same way as every single other person. See, Billy Graham is anointed of God to do what he does, but he's not anointed to live the life. He's got to live the life exactly the same way you do, exactly the same way I do. All right? He's got to resist temptation. He's got to feed his spirit. He's got to be in the word. He's got to pray. He's got to do all of the exact same things that every single one of us need to do. So we've got these nine gifts of the spirit, and they're really, they, they, they break down into three groups. There's a, a vocal group, right? There's a revelatory group that, that reveals things, and there's a power group that does things. And there's three in each one. Now, God's number is three. And I think it's interesting that when he, there's the gifts of the Spirit, we've got three times three. God puts his stamp three on just about everything. Now, as 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and it ends by saying, but desire earnestly the best gifts. And by the way, the best gift is the one you need right now. All right, that's the best one. All right. But yet I show you a more excellent way and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love. He's saying the best way to have the gifts of the Spirit begin to flow in your life is to walk in love. So we're real quickly, we're going to take a pass and take a look at these gifts because the Bible says we're not to be ignorant. We're not to be ignorant. Now the first one that I want to talk about here is the gift of prophecy. And it's defined in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3, and it's not what people think it is. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. You thought it was talking about the future, but that's a different gift. Prophecy is edification, exhortation, or comfort. I love you. I'm with you. Be faithful. I'm coming soon. It's, it's going to build you up, right? But it's not talking about the future, right? The, the, the next one of the vocal gifts, really these two go together, it's diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Diverse kinds. In other words, there's different kinds of tongues. Now, I, I know when you even start to talk about tongues, some people get really nervous. Just, just chill. It'll be all right. right. It's in the Bible. All right. So there's different kinds. First of all, there is a private prayer language tongue which is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. No one understands him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So when you talk to God what do we call that? Prayer. That's prayer. Right? So there's a tongue where you're talking to God. Right? Somebody said well I heard it and it didn't make any sense to me. It's not supposed to. It says no man understands him. All right? He's talking to God. Quit eavesdropping. Cut it out. This doesn't have to do with you. It's simply your spirit communicating with the Holy Spirit. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels. How many of you know any angel tongues? Any angel languages? You're not supposed to know, all right? Howbeit in the spirit they speak mysteries. Now the fifth verse says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless he interpret. So tongues with interpretation is equal to prophecy. Right? Now, prophecy is not talking to God. It's a message from God. Right? So he says if there's a tongue and it's interpreted, it's a different type of tongue. It's not the same as one that you use in your prayer language in your home. And it's interpreted, it's equal to prophecy. Right? And it says... If anyone speaks in tongue, let it be two or three at the most, is in the congregation. You're, you're, you're at your, your, your small group and let one interpret. One person should interpret if there's a tongue that's not a tongue talking to God, but one, it's a message from God. And then there's a third type of tongues, and that's mentioned in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, everyone heard them speaking their own language. There were literally languages that were known. I remember years ago listening to H.B. Garlock. He wrote a book called Before They Kill and Eat You. In 1920, he went to Liberia as a missionary, and he tells about how he, he's in the village, and uh, these people are cannibals, and they're planning to eat him. And he said the Spirit of God just came on him, and he began to speak in tongues. He said he was actually, he spoke in their language. He told them, I'm a servant of God, and any of you try to eat me, you're in big trouble. <laughs> All right, got out of that mess. All right. <clears throat> now, something about prophecy. All right. It says, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesying. This First Thessalonians 5. Prove all things or test all things and hold fast to what's good. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let the prophet speak two or three and let the others judge, right? Prophecy is to be judged. Now, here's the reason why. You say, well, if it's prophecy, if it's God, yeah, but there's a human element. How many of you know we humans, we tend to mess things up sometimes, all right? So we need to judge prophecy. You don't need to judge the Bible, but you need to judge prophecy because what we do is we judge prophecy, first of all, with the Bible. It says in Isaiah 8:20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. It's saying if they aren't, if, they, if what somebody says is in disagreement with the Bible, it says there's no light in them. It's not God speaking at all, right? The second thing is realize that prophecy centers on Jesus, lifts up Jesus, and glorifies Jesus. Not a group of people, not an individual. Years ago, uh, we had a, a guy on staff. And uh, before he was on staff, he got involved with the group. And he recognized things just weren't right. And he said, I'm going to leave. And they prophesied to him. And they said, now, if you leave, you're going to die. How many know that just really is not a great prophecy? You don't, you don't want to hear that thing. All right. But, but prophecy is to lift up. It's not to create fear. It's to bring edification, exhortation, and comfort. In Revelation 19 verse 10 it says worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy prophecy lifts up Jesus exalts Jesus not a person 
not a group, but Jesus. Right? Then we have the revelatory gifts. And uh, one of those is the word of knowledge. Now, it's not knowledge. It's a word of knowledge. Right? And this word of knowledge is when God gives you supernaturally, not because you figured something out, but supernaturally shows you something that has taken place or that is at that moment taking place. One of the great examples of this is found uh, with, with uh, the prophet Elisha. There is a man, a Syrian general named Naaman. He has leprosy and he comes to the prophet and the prophet says, go dip seven times in the river Jordan. You'll be clean. He goes, he dips, he comes back because he is totally healed. The Bible says his skin became like a baby's skin. And he tries to give the prophet a huge gift, millions and millions of dollars. And the prophet says, no, I won't take anything. And he says, well, then please let me have two mule loads of dirt. And the prophet said, okay, take your dirt. Now, the reason for the dirt is at that time, they believed that each area had its own God, that there wasn't one God over the whole world, but there were a lot of gods. And so this guy, that's what he believed. And so he wanted dirt so he could take it home and worship God. He put his dirt out and then he could thought, I can worship God on my dirt because I've got God's dirt because God's the God of that particular land or bunch of dirt. The prophet said, take your dirt. And he took off. But his servant Gehazi, now Gehazi has been his servant for 20 years, said, look, my master spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I will take something from him. I, I, I love this because this is what people do. As the Lord lives. Now, he's about to go lie, cheat, and steal. All right. He says, like, as God is my witness. The stuff people blame on God. Right? Don't, 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 don't think that every time somebody says God told me, he did because he didn't. All right. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running, he came down and met him. And he tells a lie and he says, hey, a couple of, of boys from the Bible school have just come down. The prophet said to get some stuff for them. And, and the guy said, well, take twice as much. And he has to have a couple servants come and carry all the silver and gold and stuff that he takes. And he goes and hides it. And then he goes and stands in front of the prophet. All right. And he came to him and he said, uh, where have you been? And Gehazi said, well, I haven't been anywhere. Now, listen, Gehazi's lived with him for 20 years. Gehazi knows the prophet doesn't know everything. If he thought the prophet knew everything, he would have never tried this. He knows. And look what the prophet says. He said, to him, didn't my heart go with you when you turned back, when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is this a time to receive money and clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Here's what he said. He said, the moment he turned to talk to you, God turned on the television and I saw what happened. And then he discerns what's in his heart. He says, this is how you're going to spend that money. You thought you were going to buy a vineyard and oxen and male and female servants and lands. He knew. How did he know? He knew by the spirit. It wasn't something he physically saw. It wasn't something he figured out. It was by the spirit. Now, that's why the Bible calls it a word of knowledge. God doesn't give you all knowledge. He just gives you a word. When God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint as king one of the sons of Jesse, he didn't tell him which one. 
He just said, go anoint a son of Jesse to be king. Why didn't he tell him? The youngest one, David. In fact, he went through all the other ones. Right? God doesn't tell you everything. He just gives you a word. He just gives you a little piece of knowledge. All right? Uh, maybe I won't get through today with this one on this service. Get that tape from the other service. Say a story. We, we used to have a man by the name of Lester Summerall come who pastored church down in uh, South Bend, Louisiana. Lester told me this story. He said, uh, I had William Branham come. Now, William Branham, most of you will not know who he is. He's been dead for 50 years, right? But he operated very, very strongly in the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. He said, I, I rented the civic auditorium. He said, and after the service, they formed a line. He's going to pray for people. And he sat in a chair and they had this line. He said, the first woman that came, first person in the line was a woman. And she came over, and as she was coming, he reached out to take her hand, and this is what he said. He said, you're not here for yourself. He said, you're here about your husband. He says, do you know the red-haired secretary that he has? He's in the hotel with her right now. He said, but don't worry about it. He'll be dead in less than six months. And he just passed her by. Now, Lester wrote it down. Got her name, address, phone number. He said the first thing that he noticed was that 90% of the people in the line sat down. <laughs> he said he contacted her. And it was true to her suspicion that there was an affair going on. And the husband died in less than six months. God didn't tell him everything about everybody, but God told him something. All right? God told him something. Word of wisdom. All right? This is when God shows you a word about something that is going to happen. Not that is happening or has already happened, but God's wisdom has to do with the fact that God knows the future. All right? Now, in Acts 21, it says, Now on the next day, we were Paul's company, departed, went to Caesarea, to the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. He's one of the seven original deacons from Acts chapter 6. We stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Four daughters living in the house. Paul staying there for a while. These girls prophesied. As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Baal's belt. He bound his own hands and feet and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews in Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, there were four daughters there that had the gift of prophecy, edification, exhortation, comfort. But when God wanted to give Paul a word about what was going to happen in the future, that's a word of wisdom, he sends a prophet. Because every New Testament prophet has the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, both operating in their ministry. Right? So he sends the prophet down. He says, this is what's going to happen when you go to Jerusalem. All right? Discerning of spirits. This is seeing into the spiritual realm or discerning a spirit or the spirit that a person is operating in. This is not, this is, this is not the gift of discernment. Of discernment. People say, I've just got this gift of discernment. You know, no, it's discerning of spirits, and there is no such thing as the gift of discernment. You have the gift of suspicion, and you should turn it on yourself. <laughs> but it does give insight 
into the spiritual world, all right? In Acts 13, as, as uh, Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey, they come to a certain place. There's a false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus, all right? And he withstands them as they try to preach. And Paul discerns what's going on. And he just simply says, you know, you, you, you son of wickedness, the hand of the Lord is going to be against you because you're withstanding the way of truth. And the Bible says like a cloud came over him and he couldn't see the sun or the moon. He couldn't see anything for three months. All right. I remember when Jeannie and I were, were young missionaries, we uh, went to Mexico. I think uh, I had just 22, 23 years old. We had been there for just under six months. We had started a church. And I was standing up front, service wasn't started yet, and a man I'd never seen before walked across the back. And there was just a cloud, there was just a cloud all over him. Now, when I saw that, I didn't hear a voice, but there was just this inner witness that that man is a false prophet, and he's going to try to destroy this church. Well, we had to leave because the papers that we had to be in Mexico were running out. And so I, I remember I sat down with our leaders and I said, look, this guy, don't trust him. I'm telling you things are not right. I told them what had happened. Interesting, we were gone the first service. We had Tuesday services, Thursday services, Sunday services. First service, we're gone. He came in and said, God said, I'm supposed to preach tonight. And they let him. And it was just a catastrophe, just a catastrophe in the church. Um, literally like one of the worst times of my life. But God supernaturally gave us the word, look, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. Now, by the way, when it comes to visions, there's, there's really, there's basically three kinds, right? There's what the Bible refers to as a night vision. You call it a dream, right? Then there's a vision, which is like a closed vision, right? The apostle Paul gets knocked off his donkey, and the Bible says when he stood up and opened his eyes, he saw a vision of Jesus, but his eyes were closed. You can have a vision where your eyes are closed, but you're awake. That's what happened to Paul, all right? Then the book of Samuel, it says that in those days, it says there was no open vision. And the word of the Lord was rare. In an open vision, you're just where you are right now, and all of a sudden, you just see into the spirit realm. You see it with your eyes wide open, all right? In the book of Numbers, one prophet said, Here, I, I, I'm the one who sees with his eyes wide open. He said, I, uh, my eyes are open, but I just see into the spirit realm with my eyes wide open. Now, it said the word of the Lord is rare, all right, in those days. It was rare. Now, it's talking, it's the book of Samuel. Samuel's laying down in the temple, and he hears a voice. It says, Samuel, Samuel. He runs over to Eli, said, you called. Eli said, I didn't call. Three times he goes. And finally, Samuel recognized it's the Lord. It's the Lord. He said, next time you hear that voice, he said, say, speak, Lord, because your servant listens, all right? So the, the, the word of the Lord that the Bible talks about there, and you, you all through the Old Testament, you hear this, all through the Old Testament, all right? It's in the New Testament as well, but it is the most prevalent thing in the Old Testament, all right, that you hear it in your ear. Now, the person next to you doesn't hear anything, but you hear it. The Bible says that God spoke in Samuel's ear and said, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man of the Benjamite tribe, the son of Kish, and I want you to anoint him is king. He heard it in his, in his ear, in his ear. All right. Power gifts, working of miracles. All right. Now, this is not like a miracle drug or a beautiful sunrise or a flower 
or when your grandbabies are born. You're like, it's a miracle. Look at it. Beautiful. This is not, that's not the miracle. This is when God stops or suspends the ordinary course of nature by the force of his spirit, the person being active. So Samuel is, is uh, on his way to Timnath. He's, he's in a vineyard, and a lion attacks him, and he tears that lion apart with his bare hands. That is the working of miracles. Jesus walking on water. That's a miracle, all right? He's doing something. It's a miracle, all right? Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 by the working of miracles. G Moses split the Red Sea. Samson killed 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey, Right? He, he picks up the gates of the city in their posts and walks 20 miles up a mountain to Hebron with the gates of the city, working of miracles. Right? When the working of miracles happens, the person is active. But then there's what the Bible simply refers to as faith, or the Amplified says it better, special faith. Right? And with special faith, the person receives supernatural protection or provision or transportation, but they don't do anything. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den and takes and gets a good night's sleep. He didn't do anything, but that was special faith. The three Hebrew children are thrown into the furnace. They didn't do anything, but it was special faith. They were protected. All right? Elisha is hiding by the brook cherub, and the Bible says that every morning, every evening, that ravens came and bought him a Big Mac. Bread and meat sounds like a Big Mac to me. All right. And then the brook dries up and he goes to Seraphath and he tells the widow, look, just make me a little cake. And this is what's going to happen. That little bit of oil you have will just keep on running. Every time you pour, there'll be more. And that flour you have, every time you put your hand in, there's going to be more. See, special faith, special faith. And they actually had a continuous miracle. Now, it's the same spirit. Now, if you had put Samson in the lion's den, the next morning, there would have been cheap lion burgers all through Babylon because he'd have killed them all, right? But with special faith, Daniel just went to sleep and no lions died. Both received protection. It's the same spirit, but he manifests differently for different, in, in, inside of different people, right? The gifts of healings. Now, both gifts and healings are plural. Right? It's not like somebody has a gift of healing. It's gifts of healings. It's been suggested, and it's a suggestion, that Jesus received 39 stripes. There's 39 classes of sickness and 39 different gifts of healing. Now, Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, and he preaches Christ to them. Now, the Bible says they all gave heed with one accord, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, listen, unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice. Many who were possessed were set free, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. All right. So notice what happened. Demon-possessed people were delivered. Lame and cripples were healed. No blind people, no deaf people, no lepers. It was just a certain category of sickness. Right? And when it's the gifts of healings, that's how it'll work. Kenneth Hagin would, would, would say this. He said, almost never does anyone with a growth or a tumor stand in front of me and I get to lay hands on them and pray for them that they're not healed. 
says, almost every time, every time. But he says, I only had success in that area like that, right? It was a gift, right? Now, somebody says, why does God do it that way? I think if God gave, you know, the, the Bible says that Jesus had the spirit without measure. But you and I, we have it with measure, right? So that there's not going to be that. Jesus is the only one that had all the gifts flowing all the time. He was the only one, all right? But yet the Bible says that it's God's will that every single one of us have manifestations of the Spirit. And any gift can come to anybody at any time. It can happen, all right? Now, another thing about the gifts of, of, of healing. J Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, right? We, we were just there a few months ago, right? There were five porches, and the Bible says they're full of sick people. Jesus sees a certain man who's been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus said to him, would you like to be well? And he says, well, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. Now, at this pool, the Bible says that an angel would descend from time to time. No, no schedule, just from time to time, would stir the water. The first person in would be healed of whatever they had. He's like, I got nobody to put me in. And Jesus said, take up your mat, go home, you're healed. Jesus walked away and left five porches full of people, hundreds of people, hundreds of sick people. Jesus left them all. One person, one person. All right? How many know God can do whatever he wants? Amen. All right? And if he just decides, I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to heal that person right there, he can do that. But you know what? Everyone can be healed because James 5 says, call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. If they've committed any sins, they will be forgiven them. All right. Well, I, I went just a little long, but I did, got a lot covered. A lot covered. All right. Hey, would you bow your head for just a moment? <clears throat> Hebrews 6 says, This hope we have is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and when entered the presence behind the veil. We have an anchor for the soul that is sure and steadfast. In hard times, in the storms, through the difficulties, there is an anchor for your soul. Right? Your car will not help you when you're discouraged. It won't sustain your soul. Right? It might have heated seats and a GPS and a plethora of cup holders, but it is not an anchor. It won't get you through the storm or the hard time. Your house can't be an anchor for your soul or your job or society or wealth. They don't, have, they don't have souls. They cannot see you through. But God said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will never physically leave you and I will never turn my heart away from you. The psalmist said, though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death. You're with me. He's with you. He'll see you through. He'll forgive you. He has resurrection in mind for you. He has heaven in mind for you.